Good morning. How is everybody? I am not Joel Kurz. Uh, just a few years older than him. Uh, does everybody have a Bible? Does anybody need a Bible? If you raise your hands, I think they'll get one to you. All right. Looks like everybody brought a Bible. That's great. I'm so glad to be here today. Uh, most of you, many of you know me, uh, maybe, maybe not. I've been I've spoken here about a year ago, I think, and was here a couple of weeks ago we visited. But uh, Pastor Joel was kind of my adopted son. Uh, back in about 2003, uh, the Lord put us together, and he was the youth pastor of the church where I ministered. And, and then I think about six, let's see, 2006, I think it was, something like that. So he, you all, he came over here, and we sent uh, Jess and their family over here as missionaries to Baltimore and planted the Garden Community Church, uh, and we were the mother church, and we've been working that, and we just love Pastor Joe and uh, love this church, and so pray for me as I try to share the word with you this morning. Uh, uh, let's, um, let's go to the Lord in prayer before we begin. Father God, we thank you this morning for the Holy Spirit who is in this place as we felt as we have worshipped you in song. Lord, we, we invite you to come in a special way. Lord, without your entering into our hearts and into the word of God this morning, uh, our time will not mean a whole lot. But Lord, as you speak to us, Lord, we can be brought to life, revived, refreshed, recommitted to you, Father. That's what we want. We want change in our heart today. Lord, as you speak to our hearts, and I pray for Pastor Joel as he shares across town, Lord, at, at Christ Redeemer Church. I pray, God, you'd anoint his message and that hearts will be changed there as well. We thank you for Pastor Joel's ministry and Jess as they've ministered here for these years, and Lord, it's not always been easy, and, but I thank you for these people, and Lord, yesterday I got to meet some of these lovely ladies, and uh, my, wife, my wife shared the word with them, and Lord, thank you for what a, a wonderful core group of people we have here at Garden Community Church and for those in leadership and those that are committed to you. And so, God, I pray today that you'll speak to all of us through your word. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. If you take your Bibles and if you turn to 1 Kings chapter 18, I want to, for you this morning to use your imagination a little bit. I hope some of you don't get upset with me, but I'm going to tell you a little story. And uh, I think after I'm done, I don't think you'll be too upset. But we're going to talk a little bit about idols this morning. And uh, just listen to this story. Uh, it's not my story, but it's one I want to share with you uh, from a, a book that I uh, had been involved in with Kyle Edelman, wrote called about the gods at war. We do have gods at war in this world, but imagine with me this morning that uh, this morning out here in the parking lot of the church that there was a great commotion going on and that uh, people had uh, set their alarms for like six o'clock in the morning and dad even set a second alarm so he made sure that he didn't miss the worship service and he's going around the house and he's telling the kids, man, you've got to get going. If you don't get going, if we don't get to church, we're going to have to sit way up in the balcony and, and maybe we'll have to park way out and we'll have to walk far in the church. And 
man, you know, we've got to get all this stuff in the car because, you know, we, we've got to get this stuff in because we're going to have the tailgate party before worship, you know, and we've got the satellite hookups even so we can watch some other worship services that are going on before we watch our worship service, and, and it's just going to be an exciting time, and, and they even have a TV show called uh, Church Center, and and, you know, uh, uh, they've been talking. You go to work, and all you talk about is what happened at the worship service last Sunday, right? Are you getting it? I, I love the Ravens. <laughs> I'm, I'm a Ravens fan. Uh, would you put up uh, Marco up there? Uh, yesterday, Pastor Joel and I, we went to... Uh, the, the, the game, and uh, Marco, where are you, Marco? Can you, can you see him? How does he look? Does he look like a god? Sorry about that, Marco. Now, I uh, really want to get serious with you this morning, and I just want to use your imagination a little bit, but would it be wonderful if we got that excited about coming to worship the Lord? Uh, I mean, I, I'm, I'm one of the, and I was a great Colts fan. You know, I got roots back in Baltimore, and my brother and I, we were the greatest, man, Johnny Aninus, Lenny Moore, and you, some of you don't even know those names, but, uh, man, I tell you, Lenny Moore was amazing. Raymond Berry, <laughs> they were my heroes. And I hate to say it, but I, I think I made him a god. But uh, I'll root for the Ravens today. I think they're playing here, right? <laughs> But I want to talk to you about Jesus being Lord of your life today. Uh, we, we, we worship one God, and even in Sunday school we were talking this morning, did a great job about uh, how that things came to be in the Trinity, and we really worship one God, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. But does Jesus really occupy the throne of your heart this morning? You know, the, the enemy doesn't care if you have other gods. <laughs> but in Exodus chapter 20 and verse 3, it says, Thou shalt have no other gods before me. In fact, the Hebrew word there at the end says, before my face. God's a jealous God. You can't have God number 2 and God number 10. God says, I'm to be the only one that you worship because I'm a jealous God. Now, I want to give you a definition of idol. You know, you say, Pastor, isn't that kind of ancient idols? And we don't have idols today. I mean, there are statues and all that stuff. Well, here's a definition, I think, of a biblical idol today. An idol is anything that takes the, fo the focus off of God and puts it onto something else. It's anything or anyone who you serve, love, or trust more than God. You know, we pastors, Pastor Joel, myself, we, we like to focus on sin sometimes, and that's the fruit. But the root is idolatry. Idolatry is the tree from which the sin grows and brings rotten fruit into our lives. Every struggle, every sin that I have, there's a false God that's competing and warring for my soul to take place of the Lord Jesus Christ to be first in my life. 
There's a false God competing in my life. Well, what do you struggle with this morning? Pastor, it's worry. I just seem to worry all the time. Well, Pastor Joel hears that, and he talks to you, and he thinks about it, and he prays about it, and, and he, he preaches a sermon on worry. And for a while, you do, you, you, you do pretty good. But guess what? Then things kind of come back, and you start worrying again. It's still there. Why? Because the sermon wasn't biblical? No. Because you didn't understand? No. It's because we didn't get to the root of the problem. Because it continues to grow and grow. And it may be that worry you worry because you have made comfort your God. Or maybe you have made security your God. Maybe your idol is gossip because you struggle with what people think about you. Maybe you struggle with discontent because money and control is your idol. Maybe you struggle with pride because your image is your idol. What are you struggling with this morning? You know, I don't have a sermon to cover all of your struggles. But I do have some principles from God's Word that will help you in that struggle. Because, see, it's not what's on the outside that we're dealing with this morning. It's something deep within us that's in our hearts. See, God always deals with the heart. It's something rooted inside the heart. And God says, Thou shalt have no other gods before my faith. There's no lasting victory until the little God is dethroned from our hearts. Because we have many gods competing for our devotion. And this morning I just want to talk to you, uh, this is a series of messages I did at our church, but I just wanted to pull this one out this morning to talk to you because I prayed a lot about what I wanted to talk to you this morning about. But this morning I'm going to talk to you a little bit about the gods of pleasure Here's the philosophy. If it makes me feel good, it's good, and I want it. And if I want it, I have to have it, and I have to have it now so I can feel good. I can't wait. Well, if you've got your Bibles, you're, keep your finger in 1 Kings, but turn with me to James chapter 4. And look at this, look at the first few verses here. James says this, he says, What causes fights and quarrels among you? Don't they come from your desires that battle within you? You want something, that, but don't get it. You kill and covet, but you cannot have what you want. You quarrel and you fight. You do not have because you do not ask God. When you ask, you do not receive, because you ask with wrong motives, that you may spend what you get on your pleasures. You adulterous people, don't you know that friendship with the world is hatred toward God? Anyone who chooses to be a friend of the world becomes an enemy of God. What's he saying? You ask, but you ask amiss. 
what I want, my desire, my pleasure. James says, don't you know? It's not what you want that causes the problem. It's the desire, the craving, the lust that you have to have it. That's what is destroying you and your prayers. Many times it's the worst thing God can do is to give us the things that we desire. Romans chapter 1 verse 24 says, Therefore God also gave them up to uncleanness in the lust of their hearts to dishonor their bodies among themselves. The worst thing that God can do many times is to give us what we desire. But we live in a culture that says, I've got to get it, and I've got to get it now. And James says, that's what's causing your problems. Inside of you, it's not the worry or the anxiety, it's the outward manif- not the outward manifestation, but it's what's deep down in your heart that's the problem. Deeper than worry. Pastor, I like pleasure. You pastors mess everything up. No, Timothy says this in 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 17. Command those who are rich in this present age not to be haughty nor to trust in uncertain riches, but in the living God who gives us richly all things that we enjoy. Trust in the living God. Don't trust in these false gods. Marco's not going to help you next week. Are you, Marco? Now, maybe he'll try. Our God gives us richly, it says, all things. God says, serve me and me alone. And I'll give you richly all things that you'll ever need. Psalm 16, verse 11 says, You will show me the path of life in your presence is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. Turn with me now in your text, and let's get down to 1 Kings, uh, and I'm not going to be long this morning, but 1 Kings chapter 16, I want, you, I want to show you Ahab here. Now, this is a very familiar story in the Bible, and probably most of you know this story. Uh, now, who is Ahab? Look at chapter 16. If you look at verse 30, it tells us, he says, Now Ahab, now Ahab was king of Israel, And the son of Omri did evil in the sight of the Lord more than all that came before him. He was a very evil king. He was more wicked than all that came before him. And and he he worshipped Baal. Now, Baal was a fertility god. He was was, uh, the one that brought uh, growth to the crops and also to your family. And he was worshipped and his name was Hadad, and his name was so sacred to their, the Baal prophets, they were not allowed to say his name, so they called him Baal. But he, but he was the Lord of heaven, that's what Hadad means. But his wife is Jezebel. Now, I don't, anybody here uh, name your, one of your girls Jezebel? So maybe you know, now, maybe you're, now you know the story a little bit more now. Je- Jezebel uh, was Ahab's wife, and you know what she did? The first thing she did when she got some power? She killed all the prophets of God, slew every one of them except one, Elijah. Well, in 1 Kings 17, look at verse 1. And Elijah the Tishbite, 
Now the inhabitants of Gilead said to Ahab, As the Lord God of Israel lives, before whom I stand, there shall not be a dew nor rain these years except at my word. Now that brings us to the first principle this morning about the God of pleasure. Number one, when God sees an area of, uh, in your life as a child of God that's too important to you, he withdraws his blessing in that area. What is it that occupies my heart and my mind more than God? What takes up all my spare time and, and most of my energy? I mean, all of us here have to work, most of us do, to, to make a living. And sometimes our job can become our God. Sometimes our business, if we have a business, can become our God. But when we make it number one, when we put it above God, more important than God himself, it becomes an idol. All I'm saying is what keeps you up at night. What drives you. Where is your passion this morning? Ask yourself, is that more important to me than the God who created me? You may be sitting here saying, no, 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 it's not, it's not me, preacher. But God says, if this is your bail, I'm not going to send any rain to it. You're going to be dry. Theology calls this the active, there's the active wrath of God, and then there's the passive wrath of God. And Pastor Joel and I were talking, he said he's talked to you about that before, but, but uh, when God says, he says, he says, I'll give you up. Romans chapter 1, verse 24 says, he gave them up. To uncleanness he gave them up to vile affections in verse 28 he says then he gave them over to a reprobate mind you know where this nation is today I, I think we haven't really seen the active wrath of God yet we've seen the passive wrath of God but you know it might not be long till we see the active wrath of God God says, you want sports? <laughs> I'll give you sports till it chokes you. You want sex? Everywhere that your children go, that's what they'll see. You want money? I'll give you the money channel. And everywhere you go, everybody be talking about finances and money. Aren't you sick of hearing about the economy? God says, if that's what you want, that's what I'll give you. The principle is that when it becomes more important to you than him, he withdraws his blessing. So here's the question. Where's the drought in your life this morning? Finances? Intimacy? Relationships? Have you ever noticed, uh, sometimes I've noticed young women that really want to have a children, and for some reason they're not having children, and they're in the church. I'm talking about God's children now. And uh, for years go by, and they're wanting so desperately to have a child, and that's all they think about, and they're possessed with it. And then one day they just kind of seem to give it up to God and, and all of a sudden they become pregnant. I've seen that. I'm not saying that's all the time, but I've seen that many times. When we give up the thing that we're hanging on to as a God, when we give it to Him, God blesses us. It's, you know, it's kind of like a, a, a young girl that was 13 years old and, and she, she saved up her money. She loved pearls. And she... Uh, she bought this cheap 
plastic pearl necklace, and she put it on. She was 13 years old, and she wore it to bed at night. She just loved this necklace, you know. And she wore it for three years, and it started to turn yellow, you know, how, per, how plastic does, you know. And, and her dad called her in one day and says, says, honey, uh, do you trust me? He said, oh, yeah, Dad, I trust Do you love me? Yeah, I love you, Dad. Well, take that necklace off, would you? Oh, Dad, I love this necklace. I said, look, do you, do you trust me? Yeah. Do you love me? Take the necklace off. Crying, she takes the necklace off. Dad reaches into his pocket, and he pulls out a velvet box, and he opens the box, and he gives her a real pearl necklace. See, we're putting our faith in false gods. And we're expecting them to bless us. And God's got a, the real thing. And he wants to give it to you. Well, here's the biblical principle. As a child of God, as long as your hands are full, God's not going to bless them. You know, uh, one of the greatest problems with the church today is commitment. And uh, I thank God for you. I've seen it this week already. Some of you that are really committed to the Lord. And boy, it blesses my wife, especially young people. You know, this is a young church. And uh, our church was a healthy church. We had young and old. And, you know, when, when I retired in May, I had to step down and, and, you know, of course, we're Baptist, and that's, you know, not, not, that's, a, that's a big problem. But, uh, we don't have bishops, so, you know, you have to let the church find a pastor, and so the old pastor, retire, you know, he steps down. We have to get out of the way so they can have a new authority, and so you don't muddy the waters and come back, and people want to come to you instead of the new pastor, all that stuff. Anyway, it's been hard on Sharon and I because we've really, we've really missed the people. We love them so much. We had a really healthy church. Greensboro is a great church, and uh, we loved our people so much, but it's hard, and uh, but, you know, we can't hang on to anything other than the Lord. Uh, my joy should not come, even as much as I love God's people, even from God's people, it comes from Him. And uh, so principle number two is when gods are competing in your life, sometimes we want both, but we get neither. Stay with me here in the story. We get in chapter 18, now look at verse 19 and 20. Ahab calls Elijah the troubler of Israel, and Elijah says, uh, no, you are the one who has forsaken God's commandments, and God has, had, has withheld rain now because Elijah prayed, you know, to wake the people up here that God's in control now, and you're, you're, you know, you're worshiping Baal, and, and now no rain is going to come to you. He, he's the fertility God. He brings rain and all that, but you're going to see who's in control because God's not going to let it rain, and it didn't rain for two and a half years. And Elijah's not a very popular guy. It's a wonder he didn't get killed, but he's been hiding out. Verse 19, Now therefore send and gather all Israel to me on Mount Carmel, the 450 prophets of Baal, and the 400 prophets of Asherah, and who eat at Jezebel's table. So Ahab sent for all the children of Israel and gathered the prophets together on Mount Carmel. See, first God has, has Elijah hiding because he has to hide because they're, they're killing God's prophets, and, and he, but he wants him out in front now. You know, it's more fun sometimes to be hiding, especially when you're the one who prayed for no rain <laughs> and nobody's had anything to eat for about a couple of years. Things have been really bad. Well, Ahab 
would have had some support from the people here to get rid of Elijah. He was the troubler of Israel. But Elijah says, no, no, you're the problem. You're the ones that are worshiping the false gods. Elijah says, you left the true God. I didn't. So get all your priests together. 450 of Baal and 400 of Asher. There's 850 priests come together now. Can you look at this? Can you get this sight in your mind? At Mount Carmel, there's 800, and there's just God's man, Elijah. And 800 false priests. It's time to find out whose God is real. And there's a showdown at Mount Carmel. Look at verse 21. And Elijah came to all the people and said, How long will you falter between two opinions? If the Lord is God, follow him. But if Baal, follow him. But the people answered him, Not a word. What did the people say? Nothing. They didn't start calling out Baal is the God. Why were they silent? You don't know, you know why they were silent? Why they didn't say that Baal was their God? Because they wanted both. They wanted Baal and they wanted God. And they got neither. When gods are competing in your life, sometimes you want both. You want to hold on to that false God, and you want God too, but you get neither. Someone said in the World War II generation of people was the greatest generation in our nation because they were so committed. They were more committed to family. They were more committed to God. I'm, I mean, I grew up in that. My dad was a World War II guy, and we went to church, and, and man, it was understood. You go to church. And you worship God on Sunday. And I, there's no question, I sat still in my seat because I knew I liked my teeth in my head. And they defeated Germany. And they defeated Hitler because they were committed. And you know, we have a generation, my generation, and I'm the older ones for you guys, but I'm the baby boomers. And, and we have a generation that's committed. But you know what we're committed to? We're committed to keeping our options open. So if something better comes along, we can have that. But Elijah says, you've got to choose. He said, you've got to make a choice. You can't have both. You've got to, have, you've got to make a choice. You can't leave your options open. Have you ever heard someone say, I love Jesus, but I just don't like the church? <laughs> I've heard this a lot. Pastor, I just don't like the organized church. We were talking a little bit about that this morning. I don't like all the traditions that are hung on the church. And, and I commend you, you have a different church. Pastor Joel, you know, he, he thinks outside the box. I, that's what I like about it. I love Pastor Joel. He, he does what he thinks God wants him to do as a pastor. He's trying to lead you in God's way. He's not worried about tradition. We can get hung up in tradition. But a lot of people don't like organized church. But, you know, it's not usually because of the pastor's message or is bad or it's not because of the church building. And You know what? And I, I like this facility. I, I know you guys might would love to have a building of your own, but this is a nice building, and I, I really like what you've done. Things are getting really kind of cozy worship here. I like this. But, uh, see, most of the time we want both. It's because sometimes as Christians we, kind of, we want both. We, we want to go out on Saturday night and Friday night and do what we want, and then we want to come to church on Sunday morning and do the God thing. 
We want both. I'm not saying you can't have a good time, and I'm not saying you can't go to a Ravens game and enjoy yourself. That's not what I'm saying. It's when those things become more important to you than worshiping God. I hear it all the time, Pastor, my kids, they, they, just, they just don't like church. They don't want, you know, when, when I was a kid, I sat in church, and uh, you don't realize, that your kids are smart. And, and I'm not saying you shouldn't have the, the sprouts, that's fine. But I mean, it's like, you know, the kids, when we were, you know, seven, eight, nine, ten, when I was nine years old, I gave my heart to Christ, and I'd heard many sermons and, and much of the Word of God because I was made to sit in church. I didn't necessarily want to, but I listened to the Word of God. It's by the foolishness of preaching that we are saved. The Word of God is powerful, like a two-edged sword. It cuts and divides our hearts and calls us. But see, you need to raise your children where they know what's number one in your life. You know, kids are real smart. They can tell what dad loves the most and what mom loves the most. If it's football takes first place and God is way down the chart, they know it. And then we wonder when they get teenagers why they rebel. There's an old saying, Sharon and I, we use it very much. Rules without relationship equal rebellion. Remember that. I'm sure you heard it. I don't even know who said it anymore whether it was uh, James Dobson or whoever it was. But you've got to have a relationship with your children. You owe them. You fathered them. You mothered them. You, you brought them into the world with God's help. And, and they need to know that God is number one in your life. And if he is, it'll make a whole a lot of difference in their life. But... Elijah said, you've got to choose. Which one is it? There's only room for one God on the throne of your heart. See, uh, I love the illustration, uh, Campus Crusade for Christ. Many, many of you might know them, but uh, they have an illustration where they have the, a picture. Uh, what's, what's his name? Huh? Bill Bright. You ever heard of Bill Bright? He's an old, he died. Anyway, but he had this, uh, he's in heaven now. But anyway, this illustration, he takes the heart and he puts a throne on the heart and he puts, you know, you on the throne. And that's the way it's supposed to be. When we give our lives to Christ, he should be the Lord of our life. He should be sitting on the throne. It's not a sofa, it's not a love seat where we put several gods on our heart, right? There's a throne there. And there's to be one God. It's to be Lord, the Lord Jesus Christ is to sit on the throne. And many times, whatever, there's a further illustration in the book that Bill Bright gives, and he shows a picture of a heart, and he shows that, that the L, the Lord, is pushed off the throne, and S is on there. Guess what S is? Self. Yeah. And that's where we, that's where we are a lot of times. You know, where, who's sitting on the throne of your heart this morning? That's really what we're talking about. Is the Lord Lord of your life or not? Or is it you? What did Paul say? He said, I, he said, I died daily that I might be crucified with Christ, that nevertheless, that, that not I live, but he liveth in me, that he rules my life and he rules my heart and he's the king of the universe and he's the Lord of lords and he deserves to be worshipped this morning. 
And he deserves your commitment and your love. Not to be second or third or fourth, but to be first in your life. We replace him far too often with idols. God doesn't want to share you with sports or with entertainment or with pleasure because he's a jealous God. You know, but almost every time in the New Testament when the word idol is used, it refers to sexual desire. It could be natural pleasure, that's good, or it could be perversion or promiscuity. But, every, but even when good things, even good things can become gods in our life, it's idolatry. God says, I'm a jealous God. Now go back to 1 Kings again. Look at verse, chapter 18 and look with me at, uh, look with me, with me at verse uh, 25. Get here in a minute. Okay. Verse twenty-five. Oh, actually, and look at verse. Uh, says you. He says you guys. Uh, you know, Elijah says you guys go first. I'll let you guys go first. I'll let you false gods go first. Verse twenty-six. So they took the bull given them and, and prepared it. Then they called on the, saint, the name of Baal from morning till noon. O Baal, answer us! They shouted, but there was no response. No one answered. And they danced around the altar that they had made. At noon, Elijah began to taunt them and shout louder. He said, surely he is a god. Perhaps he is in deep thought. Or, or busy, maybe he's busy, maybe he's gone to the bathroom, I don't know. Or, or he's traveling, maybe they, they should shout louder. And they slashed themselves, verse 20, uh, 28, with swords and with spears as was their custom, until the blood flowed and midday passed, and they continued their fanatic prophesying until the time of the evening sacrifice, but there was no response no one answered. No one paid attention. You know, we go to great pains to keep our gods. <laughs> you see the pain they're going to to keep their false god? Do you know that your false god doesn't give a rip about you? <laughs> he doesn't care that you're bleeding. For the God you want to keep? You sacrifice for pleasure. You sacrifice for the God of the future. You sacrifice for your reputation. You, you sacrifice for your finances. And it brings you nothing. Remember what James said. Don't you know that your desire is for conflict in your life? Idols in the New Testament refer to sexual pleasure. Sexual pleasure is a beautiful gift from God... But it's a horrible God. Sexual addictions destroy your life. Pleasure says, the more that you chase me, the less likely you're going to be to find me. Some people can tell you what the God of pornography can do. I have a very dear friend that got up and caught up in pornography, and he was in making a six-figure income, a great job. He was doing wonderfully, and he started looking at it on his computer at work, and guess what? He lost his job. He almost lost his wife and his family. 
Some, miss, some men risk their family, their jobs, their future on the altar of that God. C.S. Lewis said this. It's interesting. He said this. You can get a large audience together to watch a girl undress. But suppose you should go to a country where you, where you could fill a theater simply by bringing in a covered dish and you would uncover the dish and the light would show a beautiful land chop or a steak. Wouldn't you think someone has, something has gone drastically wrong with this country in regards to their appetite for food? Think about that. I love C.S. Lewis. End of quote. That's what we do. That's where we go when we're rejected. That's where we go when we're angry to our gods. Your God is where you go when you get bored. Your God is where you go when you need comfort. But the Lord of heaven is your only hope. You don't think pornography is a problem in our country? Last year, last year, pornography outsold rock and roll, country music, jazz, classical music, all combined. It outsold baseball, football, basketball, all combined. It grossed more than ABC, NBC, CBS, and Fox all combined. It's over a $10 billion business that will slay you. And you never find your way out without God. But sex is a gift from God in the bonds of marriage. As a gift, it brings connection. As a God, it causes loneliness. As a gift, it brings pleasure. As a God, it brings emptiness. As a gift, it brings satisfaction. As a God, it brings slavery. As a gift, it brings intimacy. As a God, it brings separation. As a gift, it brings unity. As a God, it causes divorce. It's a beautiful gift that God has given in the bonds of marriage, but it's a tyrant of a God. It's a brutal slave master. And we could talk about alcohol, and we could talk about, we could talk about drugs, we could, talk, we could talk about food, we could talk about the TV, we could talk about internet, and on and on we could go. And I don't want to get legalistic, but we have to consider this. They asked for the answer from their God, and he didn't deliver. He was silent. The God of pleasure promises, but he never delivers. Now it's Elijah's turn, and he does three things here, quickly as we end. He prepares, he repairs, and he prays. He made a trench around this altar, and he put wood under that, and he told them, and he took four water pots, and he filled them up. One time, two times, three times he filled and overflowed the sacrifice with water. It was just running everywhere. And it's drenched in water, verse 24. And it says in verse 24 that the one that answers with fire is the true God. Look at verse now, jump down to verse 38 with me. Then the fire of the Lord fell and burned up the sacrifice, the wood, the stones, and the soil... And also licked up the water in the trench. So how do we defeat our gods of pleasure? Here it is, the last principle. It's not that we love our gods too much. It's that we love the Lord God too little. It's not that we love our gods too much. It's that we love the Lord God too little. 
The only way to defeat a false god is by replacing that god by passionately loving the true and the living god. You know, we pastors try to get you to change gods by focusing on the evil of your god. But what we really need to do this morning is I need you to get to focus you on the beauty of the Lord Jesus Christ. Focusing on the consequences of following false gods only lead us to temporary change. It's not that we love food or sex or alcohol too much. It's that we love God too little. In just a moment... John's going to come up and we're going to sing a hymn. And then we're going to have communion. Jesus didn't say to Peter, remember when he's talking to Peter, he said, you need to have more discipline in your life. No, he said, Peter, do you love me? Not trust me, not obey me, but Peter, do you really, really love me? Is he your all in all this morning? Is Jesus Christ number one in your life? Do you spend time with him every day? Do you meditate in his word every day? Do you serve him in this church? Are you helping your own children to fall in love with Jesus as they see that he is number one in your life? Idols are defeated by replacing them with the Lord Jesus. So as we come to the uh, communion after we have this hymn, I want you to examine your heart this morning. We're supposed to come to the communion table with a clean heart. Be asking yourself as we sing this hymn, do I have a clean heart? Is, have I let go? Am I holding on to something that's causing me to lose God's blessing in my life? Is there a God that I have that I need to replace him with the Lord Jesus Christ to be number one? This is an open communion. It's all for everyone as you do it. And we'll come forward in just a few moments. And, and if uh, you have children, but it's for believers, for those that have put Christ on the throne of their heart as you come. So let's examine our hearts as we do this. Brother, if you'd come lead us in that hymn, then we'll begin the communion together.